So First Peter chapter 2, we're going through the book of First Peter. I wanted to, to start with a few uh, stories from my own experiences uh, just uh, that came to my mind as I was preparing for this sermon. And yeah, um, the, the text is probably worth keeping open in your hands if you have a Bible or devices. Some of you know that uh, I come from India um, and I come from the northeast part of India. And some of you know the history, uh, the complicated history that we have with India and uh, with the ethnic identities in the northeast part of India, in Manipur especially. Some of you may have seen the news. And because of this complicated uh, relationship with, uh, with the state, with one another, with ethnic groups, I realized that I never felt a sense of like, deep identification with home, with a place as home. Uh, so we come from India, but we always talk about this with Vime when, when there's sports going on, India is playing, and like World Cup cricket, for example. Uh, of course, we support India, the, the team, but we, we look at people waving the flags, and it's like we, we realize that we could never have that zeal because we never really identified with, with the, the country, with the nation. There's always a half-hearted, uh, and we wonder... It's interesting, looking at fans from different countries uh, and we, we always wonder, uh, we, we will never feel the kind of patriotism, this, that sort of nationalism. And in a sense, I think that that's probably for the better, uh, uh, looking at how nationalism can be such a toxic thing in today's world. But um, it's just the thing that we could never really commit and jump in to, you know, to fully own up to something and identity as, as a nation or as a people. Uh, and this was when, especially when we were growing up, I think things are changing now uh, the, among the people in, in our part of the world. But we always thought that is India's concern. That is not our concern. Uh, that's their system. That's not our system. So we always function, especially for me growing up as a child, always in, in kind of a non-engagement with the society, with the world. Uh, we lived in, in the top of a hill overlooking a, a, a beautiful locality um, and there would be concerts going on, big bands coming to, to play concert and we'd always be looking from up there, not engaging uh, because uh, that's their thing, like we don't do those things. Um, in fact, if you, if you remember how we introduce ourselves, we would always say we are from India, we'd never say we're Indians. Uh, there's a subtle difference and um, uh, it's something else to, to claim that we are Indians and just something that we, we don't fully um, jump into uh, with all our heart. As a Christian as well, uh, I, I, I mentioned that I grew up in a, on the top of a hill. It's, it's, a, it's called a Baptist vacation house. It's a mission compound. And some of you may know the history of missionary activities. What they would do when they go to different places is they would get a nice plot of land and call it mission compound. And that's where converts would be relocated, so to say so that they would remain you know, distant from their, their past, their traditional lives, so that they can start a new kind of life, disengaged from their, their own past, their own world. I grew up in, a kind, in that kind of a place on the top of on a mission compound. Um, and so we would look at all these things that's going on around us, um, not in a negative sense necessarily, but factually to, to affirm that we are uh, we are Christians, we are different, we don't engage with these worldly things and um, in, in a sense kind of withdrawal uh, from the activities. Withdrawal because of the strong sense that I don't belong on so, so many levels as I mentioned, uh, on a spiritual level but also in terms of ethnicity and uh, nationalism. 
I give this example uh, because it's kind of related to today's text as well. When I went for my master's studies in, in Canada, in Vancouver Region College, um, there, was one, um, there was one exercise that we did which really struck me. And this exercise was uh, kind of an assignment to draft a, a tweet, a Twitter tweet, to the MP of the province uh, in British Columbia uh, about a particular issue. The point of that, that exercise was to emphasize that Christians need public presence, like we need to engage with the world. We, need, we have a responsibility to check authorities, to keep them accountable, to engage with the, world, the wider world. And it really made me think, of course, looking back now, Twitter is probably not the best option to engage with society and change the world. But the point of that exercise was to learn to engage in the world, to live in the world. And I think it's related to today's text as well. Um, hear me out. We were, if you know the history of the, the, the Naga people, we, we feel like we were unjustly intruded. This was a government people we never chose, a system we did not prefer. Um, so it's, it's not that the people lacked civility, uh, it's just that they felt it was not their thing. They didn't identify with the, the way uh, things are run. In a way, you might say, we felt homeless being at home, uh, in place in a, in a system that is not ours. In a way, the Christians, the believers in the diaspora in, in Asia Minor that Peter was writing to, they were living, I think, in similar situations. They were living under Roman Empire. Uh, they were living in, in they're living at home, yes, but they were under a system that they could not identify with. Uh, they were, they had become Christians. And they were, uh, they were called as the new people of God, the holy people. They were supposed to look to heaven. They were supposed to look to God. They were supposed to um, pledge uh, their devotion to the resurrected Christ. Um, and so they felt like they didn't belong in a society that uh, gives devotion to the emperor, uh, to, the, to the multiple gods that they worship. They, were, they felt like they were a holy people in a pagan world. And even though they were very much physically probably at home, they felt like they were far from home. They felt like they were far away from their spiritual home. And so many of them, from what we can understand, they assumed, the Christians, they assumed they were exempted from the worldly responsibilities. They assumed that they, since they were citizens of heaven, these do not concern them any longer. Um, and no, this, this was not a democracy we're talking about where people have their say uh, through their vote. This was an empire. And to add it off, um, this was, uh, the emperor was Nero, he, who was infamous for actively persecuting Christians. So we're not talking about democracy, people not participating in democracy. We're talking about Christians, uh, victims of persecution, living under a, a tyrant, Nero. Um, and they, they assumed, surely we can sit this out. This is not our world. This is not our empire. Surely we don't have to engage with this world. On top of that, Christianity, especially in the first century, we learn is uh, tended to be heavily what's called apocalyptic, which means they focus on the return of Christ. Christ is returning. So why work? Christ is returning. So why have businesses? He's, he can come anytime, any day right now. The most important thing for us, I think, is to go to church and to live there and to share with one another. So it was heavily apocalyptic. 
it added to the uh, to the idea that we don't need to engage with the world any longer. And just like any minority community, they were strongly community centric. The Christians were they stuck together. They were close to one. They're close to one another. Uh, they were close knit. They shared everything that they they had, as the Book of Acts told us tells us. There was emphasis on building in-group identity as against the outsiders, um, and there was almost a um, political withdrawal, uh, not engaging with society. In fact, that was one of the complaints that uh, the Roman Empire um, had against Christians, that they, they, they did their own thing. They didn't participate in the games, they didn't participate in the activities, they had their own thing, they, did, they have their holy communion in which people say they eat the flesh, the blood, uh, referring to the commu uh, communion. In fact, this, this um, urban legend that Christians ate flesh and blood became so uh, prominent that they were accused of uh, cannibalism. So they were misunderstood on such massive levels. And they thought, surely we can sit this out. Surely we don't have to engage with the world. Uh, most of us here um, have experienced or are experiencing the diaspora experience as well. They say that, uh, especially for Indians, they say that an Indian becomes even more Indian when they go abroad <laughs> and they become more em emphatic on their Indianness. And I think that's the sense they're scattered. So people huddle together. They hold on to what they remember of home, the distant memories of home. And so they were, as the title of today's sermon is, resident aliens. They lived in these places, but they were in every sense of the word aliens in this place. They were outsiders. The Bible refers to these Christians in, in terms such as foreigners, uh, they were exiles, pilgrims, sojourners, uh, so on and so forth. Um, so the question that, um, that kind of follows from this kind of logic is, should we live disengaged lives? Should we live unconcerned with the things of the world? Uh, this week, uh, last week, uh, during my tutorial in the university, I, I learned about um, the practice of an anchorite, anchorists. Some of you may know this. It's really fascinating. Apparently, in many churches in, the, in, in England, I think, they have this cell by the side of the church where anchorists, uh, these are people who have given their life to meditation and to spirituality. They live in that cell their whole life, uh, praying and meditating. Uh, cut off from the world in, in some sense, even though they continue to have relationship with the world. So are we supposed to become like anchors and anchorites um, living in a huddle, dead to the world, essentially, as hermits and ascetics? It is in this context that we must read today's text. Uh, today's text reminds the Christians that, no, you have a responsibility to the world. You have a responsibility to the world. In fact, if you, uh, if you ha have the, scripture, uh, the text in front of you, it's quite remarkable that some of the language that are being used from, starting from verse, verse 12, actually. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among the outsiders. Uh, and it's not just about living moral lives. It, it, it also involves living well, like being a good citizen, affirmed by others, like living in such a way that even those who are unbelievers can affirm, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good life. That's, that's a good 
that's a good worker, that's a good somebody who does his job well, so to say, uh, who is visible and who is among people. Verse 13, uh, I think verse 13 to verse 17 is, is uh, it, it's, I feel like it's such a remarkable text. Uh, it says, submit to authority. And remember, these are Christians who are living as victims of persecution, right? Um, they are victims, they are people living under the oppressive weight of the empire. And Peter tells them, submit to authority. Uh, submit to the honor, um, I think it says, honor the king, honor the emperor. Nero, that, that guy, honor Nero. Um, submit to authority, submit to governors, submit to the law, uh, live as free people, live as God's slave. Uh, respect, live out of respect for everyone else. And then he goes on in verse 18 to talk to slaves. Um, slaves, submit to your masters. So Peter here is reminding the Christians that you are supposed to have a footing in the world. You're supposed to be rooted and to be active in the world. Um, not disengage. Live as people of the society. Live as people. Engage with what is happening in the world. Do not be reclusive. Um, if, if he's telling the Christians, if you find yourselves as a servant or as a slave, uh, do that uh, with, uh, with, uh, as a way to honor the authority that has been placed over you. So he, he, he talks about all these remarkable um, advices that he, he gives, uh, commands really, that he gives to the Christians. Submit to authority, uh, submit to masters. And, and for us, obviously, reading this in the 21st century, we're like, what is going on? Like, is Peter telling uh, these victims to wallow in their victimhood? I think it's important for us to supplement the idea of submitting to authority with the equally important idiom, which is out of fear of God, for the Lord's sake, out of fear of God. The, the primary command here is to fear God, to, to do this, to submit to authority out of fear for God. The ultimate authority that Peter is um, calling the Christians to follow and to honor is the authority of God. The primacy of fearing God for the Lord's sake, in reverent fear of God, as he says. So submit to the emperor out of authority, out of fear of God. Uh, submit to the governors uh, for the Lord's sake. In other words, it's not just that uh, we, the Christians need to uh, give in and be passive subjects to the king. They are supposed to honor God in their relationship with the emperor. They're supposed to honor God in their relationship with their masters as slaves. What that means is sometimes it involves critique of the empire. And we know this from history. The Christians, although Peter says, submit to the emperor, honor the emperor, we know that Christians were the ones who stood up against the imperial cult, the, the worship of the emperor. Uh, Christians did not bow down to the emperor as God. They honored the emperor because they honored God, not because they worshiped the emperor. I think there's a subtle but important difference that, uh, that, that's in, in, um, implied in that. Um, the, the Roman emperor, the Roman empire was a political empire, but it was also religious. 
empire. The emperor is considered as um, um, divinely sanctioned. He's uh, he he's almost um, yeah. So he's almost held as a divine being. Um, and so to be part of the Roman Empire means to essentially worship the emperor as God. When Paul, uh, when Peter tells the Christians to honor the emperor, he uh, he's telling them to honor the emperor because they honor God, not they not because they worship the emperor. I think I, I I'm sure you understand the the subtle difference in that, and that means that sometimes Christians will have to critique the empire, the emperor, because they are taking the place of God. Uh, sometimes that means that slaves will have to critique the, the abusive authority of the masters because they don't exemplify the, the authority that God has given to them. It is ultimately God who gives them the authority and um, the, the Christians are supposed to, to check and hold them accountable to the authority that they have, which comes from God. God's authority is always good and right. And if it goes beyond, then uh, Christians have a responsibility to check, to hold them in, uh, responsible uh, to the authority that God has given to them. So he goes on to say that um, uh, when, when people who are outside of the community of faith, when they would look at Christians, they would be impressed with their good works. So to do what is Christians are called to engage with the world, to live in the world, to do what is good and to do what is right. Uh, you, it's not just for reputation control uh, that Peter is telling the Christians to do this. He is telling them to affirm, to acknowledge the common good that exists in this world. To acknowledge the common good and to live in such a way that people can affirm the life of good works that we have, that Christians will have in this world. Um, it was interesting to, to learn, uh, preparing for the sermon, that Christians at this time were living um, in a relationship. Some of them were slaves. Some of them were, uh, I mean, all of them were subjected to the emperor. Uh, some of them, um, all of them were living under the governor. And they were facing conflict. They were facing hostility, slander. And they were living in this almost abusive relationship by their authority. And so Peter is reminding the Christians to continue to do good despite these experiences of, uh, of being victims of the system, so to say. And he's reminding them, uh, later on, we, when we come to verse uh, chapter 3, we will read about wives submitting to husbands as well. And this has to do with um, Christian converts, uh, the wives living with their husbands who are still uh, unbelievers and who are being abusive, who are uh, slandering them, who are living in this uh, unhealthy relationships. Um, and, and even in that sense, P Peter is reminding the Christian, the Christian wives to continue to submit to them out of fear of God, for the sake of God, not just to absorb the, the negativity or not just to absorb the suffering, but out of fear for God. So I think to, to, to put this concisely, Peter is reminding the Christians that yes, you are citizens of heaven. Yes, you have citizenship beyond this earth. You are called to be a holy people, a different people. And yet you must continue to live in this world. You must, you must be a blessing 
to the world to use another language that is used in the Bible. You have a responsibility to the world that we must live in the world. We must honor the leaders. We must pray for the leaders and authority. We must embrace what is right, what, what is good in this world. We must work for what is right and what is good in this world. We must live within the rules. And sometimes when it's necessary, we must challenge. And we, because we do this out of, out of respect for the sake of God, uh, who is good and who is right. I was thinking about our own context today. We don't have an emperor in a sense in, in the way that uh, the Christians had in the first century. We don't have uh, slaves and masters kind of dynamic. But today we do have different systems, different levels of authority. We have the legal system. We have academic systems, right? We have uh, the law. We have all sorts of systems that are placed within us. And I think what, how we can draw the implication of this sermon is the text is that we must honor this authority. We must honor these systems that are there in as much as we can honor God through these systems. Uh, and again, just like the Christians did, when it, is, when it goes against what is good and what is right, we must be courageous enough to stand and to resist. So we are resident aliens. Um, the fact is that we are homeless in this world, in a sense. We are homeless in this world because we are looking for something else that is home. We are not yet home in this world. We are called to be outsiders. We are called to be uh, sojourners and, um, and um, citizens of heaven. But this does not mean that we retreat from the world. It doesn't mean that we disengage from the world. Now, if we, think, if we go a few verses back to the text that uh, was a few weeks in the sermon for, uh, from a few weeks back, First um, Peter chapter 2, 1 to 10, uh, especially verse 9, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter tells the Christians that you are a different people. You are a holy nation set apart from the world. But what is the purpose? The purpose is so that you may declare the praises. So the, the purpose is not so that we are separated and we live in our own isolation in a corner there. Our, the purpose of our separation, our holiness, is so that we may declare the praises of God in this world. We may engage with the world, so to say. So because we are called to be a holy nation, a, holy, uh, a chosen people, therefore we must live in the world. Almost counter, counterintuitive. You might think that you're called to be a holy nation, so you go off to the mountains where there's no temptation, you live holy lives. That's not our calling. Our calling to be a holy nation is so that we may live in the world, even when it causes us suffering and misunderstanding. Peter uses the example of Jesus to affirm this. Jesus was the holy one, and yet he lived in the world. He was misunderstood and he suffered, and yet he allowed that to happen. So by way of conclusion, I, I just want us to reflect on, on our lives a bit. How do you think of the world outside this community of faith? How do you think of the world? I certainly know how I feel as I shared about my own introspection too. But how do you think of, of the world outside this community of faith? First Peter reminds us that we have a holy responsibility to the world. We are called to serve. We are called to honor what is good and what is right. 
And when the time is right, we are called to challenge what is unrighteous in this world. If you think of the network of relationships that we live in, right? We, we, we are inhabit uh, multiple networks of relationships in, in our work, in our home. If you think of yourself there, uh, think of yourself as the link in the chain that brings, brings blessing, that stops negativity, that stops uh, uh, the things that destroy. Like maybe it could be uh, lies or uh, it could be gossips or things that bring others down. Let, let us be the link in the network that brings positive change rather than the negative change, the blessings rather than uh, uh, destruction for, for those around us. Be the presence in our networks, in our world that blesses others, that brings joy, peace, and life to those around us. So, First Peter reminds us that we are God's holy people. We are God's holy people. We are set apart to bless the world, to embrace and to do what is right in this world, what is good in this world, and with the responsibility to be like Christ in this world. So as the text reminds us, as we live in this world, uh, homeless, even as we sit at home, uh, aliens in this world, let us engage with the world to bring good, to bring what is right, and to bring what, bring what is blessing. Uh, to be generous in the life, the blessings that we give to those around us by God's help, of course. Let us pray and let us uh, conclude our sermon. Father in heaven, we uh, know that it's such a privilege that you call us to be your people, to be your uh, body in this world, the body of Christ. Uh, it is such an honor that you call us to, to be a blessing to those around us, to bless others. Uh, many times we don't feel like it. We don't, we don't feel like we are the blessing or we have the power or we have the capacity to bless, bless others. And yet that is the calling that you have placed on us. So help us, Lord, to be like Christ. Help us to lean on the power of the Spirit who lives in us. Help us to have generous hearts and to have uh, a generous lives, uh, even when it costs, even when it uh, hurts, and even when we go through um, slander or... Um, things that we don't like help us to serve and to do what is right to honor God and for the, the power to have to do such a thing Lord we need your help and so we lean on you uh, we pray that you continue to be with us and lead us in our life we thank you we pray this in Jesus name Amen Amen